0: Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in context. Call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me, at Jim Cramer. It was a tumultuous week, sell, people. Sell, 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 sell. And that's exactly what happens when the chairman of the Federal Reserve tells us he may need to overshoot with his rate hikes to ensure inflation is kept in check. Basically, the economic version of saying we need to destroy the village in order to save it. It's as though Jerome Powell wanted to send stocks lower, Dow ultimately losing 180 points today, S&P lost 0.55%, and the Nasdaq, still taking the brunt of it, sank 1.16%. And look, it's going to be hard for stocks to stabilize until he walks back those comments, or at least clarifies that he's going to make his decisions based on the data, rather than giving us a series of lockstep autopilot rate hikes that the economy as strong as it is with these employment reports, may not be able to handle. Now, don't get me wrong. We were due for self, sell-off. We've been straight up. But this was still a man-made decline. While the Fed's worried the business is running too hot, today we did get a strong employment report that nevertheless wasn't all that inflationary. That's what I care about. They don't need to tighten aggressively just because workers are making a dime more than they did last year. Yeah, that's about it. It's not going to turn us into the Weimar Republic if we let it go unchecked. We want the Federal Reserve to be what Janet Yellen taught us, to be data dependent, meaning they make their decisions based on what's actually happening in the economy. It may sound obvious to you, but they didn't really start doing that until after the financial crisis, which is a major reason why we had a financial crisis in the first place. Data dependency is what Janet Yellen what made her so successful as a Fed chair. Powell would do well to follow her playbook which boils down to endlessly telling people, let's see what the data says, and otherwise talk about something else when pressed on his 2019 game plan. Now, it's not the Fed's job to ensure higher stock prices. I'm not saying that. But investors are right to be concerned when the head of our central bank starts talking about the need, perhaps, to overshoot with rate hikes. Maybe he could try to shoot just the right amount. Of course, it's not just the Fed. The strong dollars hammering our companies uh, that do a lot of business overseas. It'd be nice if Powell would acknowledge how deflationary that is, though. Long-term interest rates keep rising, something that tends to crush dividend stocks because bonds become more attractive while also hurting housing because mortgages are getting more expensive. And let's not forget the tariffs. Now, I see housing, autos, and now, after this week, maybe even retail slowing. So it's entirely possible the Fed is ahead of the curve already when it comes to stamping out inflation, despite near-full employment, the lowest since 1969. In the end, there's only so much they can control. And these three industries really tell us that the rate hikes are already working like they're supposed to. So let's give it a break. And that's a good place for to start our game plan for next week. As soon as Monday, I know no one's talking about this, but this is my insight. As soon as Monday, I expect President Trump to announce his next set of sanctions or tariffs against China. This is a problem. Now, this week, in a very little notice story, the Pentagon revealed that the Chinese are selling products well below cost in order to bankrupt certain key American companies that are suppliers to the military. It's an escalation of the trade war. And I bet the president escalates right back with some massive retaliation. Protect the Pentagon. So be prepared for some tough talk when we come in Monday. That should send many of the industrials that rallied earlier this week on hopes that China could capitulate to Trump the same way Mexico and Canada have, send those back down. Now, That's the industrials. Let's talk about what's going to happen with some of the softer goods stocks because Tuesday, J.M. Smucker, the food company, holds its analyst day. And this matters because it will help us figure out if people really believe the Fed is going to send the economy into a recession, a major theme that we got at the end of the week. The stock was up today, along with the other packaged goods plays, precisely because people expect that maybe the the Fed is going to send us into a recession or at least a a severe slowdown. We need to know if this fine company is going to get back on track. Uh, and, you know, something that many people say is not going to happen anytime soon. Smokers had a rough go of things. The stock's down 17% for the year. Let's see if management has a plan to re-energize the business. If they don't give you one, and it rallies anyway. What that says is money managers are afraid of recession, not excited about Smucker's business. Now, that same day, there's another important analyst meeting, and it's being held by Okta. That's this online security play. This is one of those high-flying tech stocks that's having a real rough go of it right now. When the sell-off stops, I think it could be worth owning. But Okta, like many of these cloud plays and security plays, is up more than 150% this year. So it could go a lot lower before it starts going higher again. These are the two key stocks in order to get a sense of where the market's going. On Wednesday, Kramer Faith Honeywell, which has been on the show many times, holds an analyst meeting. I like this company for its restructuring, hence why we own it for the Charitable Trust, which you can follow along by joining the Plus.com club. Honeywell's going to talk about the spin-off of its residential heating, ventilation, and air conditioning business. It's called Residio Technologies, combination of Presidio and residential. This is not the time to own a housing-related stock, even though this has got the best thermostats in the world. I have one. But it's, it's a good long-term bet, and a lot of the Honeywell spinoffs have worked. Thursday, Walgreens reports, and I've gotten increasingly worried about retail because Amazon's still putting enormous pressure on everybody's margins, although they're raising the wages for people, and costs keep rising thanks to tariffs and, of course, rising gasoline prices. However, I like what its rival CVS has been up to with the Aetna merger. I'd like to see Walgreens announce something similar when they report. More importantly, right now, we're in the grips of a serious inflation scare. Uh, you know I think the worries are overblown. But trying to fight this inflation narrative is like jumping in the front of a speeding train. What could change my mind? Well, it would be Thursday's CPI report. If this one does come in hotter than expected, we're going to hear a lot of chatter about how the Fed is right to overshoot with its rate hikes because that's how you stop inflation in its tracks. But I'm thinking this. On the other hand, we had a tame CPI number. Well, that could be exactly what you what you would need, and you would expect the market to bottom on that report if it hasn't bottomed already. Finally, on Friday, we get earnings from three of the largest banks on earth: J.P. Morgan, City, and Wells Fargo. I think they can have decent stories to tell. Now, I don't believe the banks can blow away the numbers because long-term interest rates haven't kept pace with rising short-term rates, that crimps their net interest margins. However, Those long-term rates surged this week. The 10-year Treasury is now at 3.2%. And that means the future for all these financials is brighter than it was a week ago. I bet J.P. Morgan will talk about how the economy is so strong that it is driving good loan growth, something CEO Jamie Dimon told us two weeks ago when we spoke to him in Philadelphia. I think Wells Fargo will be upbeat about how its customers are starting to return now that they've gotten some distance between now and the scandals that plagued them. I want Citigroup's Mike Corbett to explain what the new trade deal does for their substantial operations in Mexico, which the law forces them to keep separate from their business here in the U.S. Any consolidation could be terrific for Citi's bottom line. We also get to hear from PNC. This regional bank reported a severely disappointing number last quarter. Unusual. I wonder if there's a chance for a comeback, as it would be really, really very strange and not like them to have two bad quarters in a row. Bottom line, we're going to try to put in a bottom next week with an oversold market and hopefully tamer interest rates and cooler inflation. That said, the Federal Reserve has gone from a tailwind to a full-on tsunami of a headwind for the stock market, and the market won't give us a sustained comeback unless they get a little less hawkish and more data-dependent, like the Fed of recent ewer. Eric in New Mexico. Eric!
1: First off, uh, to paraphrase the commercials from the 70s when Jim Cramer talks I listen. Well, Thank you cow. for all that you do, Jim. Thank you. What's up? Um, uh, with uh, China's lukewarm economy, the trade war with the U.S., and demand for copper predicted to rise over the next five years, what is your outlook for, for Freeport, Mick Moran?
0: I don't like my My outlook for Freeport is not positive. China is the biggest buyer of copper, and I think the Chinese economy is slowing because of actions that we're taking in this country. Let's go to Don in Massachusetts, please. Don. How are you doing, Jim?
1: I am doing well, Don. How about you? I'm doing great, thanks. Jim, the stock I'd like your opinion on is symbol LSDC,
0: Lattice.
1: Lattice Semi? Conductor. No, no,
0: no, yeah. no, 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 no. Lattice Semi is not where you want to be right now, not with a sell-off in semis. I'd rather go with a lower valuation semi. I even would prefer Intel, which is finally having a day in the sun. Uh, AMD at 2324 would certainly be better. How about Scott in
1: Texas? Scott. Hey, Jim. Good afternoon. Scott, what's happening? Hey, I own JD, and I'm down 40% with the China trade war and the CEO scandal. Do you think I should dump it, ride it out, and yes. buy some more? No.
0: I don't see any sandstone in JD. Take a look at what happened to VIP. VIP. I think that the Chinese stocks are all toxic right here, and they deserve what they get. Okay. After a pretty horrible week, we're going to try to put in a bottom next week, especially if we get a decent CPI number on Thursday. But if you want a sustained comeback, we got to bring back the data-dependent Fed on man, Tonight. With this news of uh, Hortonworks merging with Clardera, is that ready to soar to the clouds? Because, boy, it did well when they announced the deal. I'm going to talk with the CEO. And never wonder how to fight a bear and win. Grab your mace. I'm going to tell you how Eli Lilly offered a masterclass. And the S&P 500 has already had nearly a double-digit gain so far this year. Are there still some buying opportunities to be had? I'm eyeing an under-the-radar play that nobody's thinking about. So stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to MadMoney at CNBC.com, Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. The goal? Explain the 1990s in exactly 60 songs. Tupac, Warren Hill, You Oughta Know, Cream. The greater goal? Move past cheap nostalgia to something deeper and weirder and better. My name is Rob Harvilla. I'm a music critic at The Ringer, and whether you're full of teenage angst or you feel bored and old, whether you don't know the song at all or you know it far too well, my new show will take you through the decade one song at a time. 60 songs that explain the 90s. Follow and listen for free on Spotify.
0: We got some major technology news on Wednesday night that you may have missed. A pair of enterprise software companies, Cloudera and Hortonworks, are combining forces in a merger of equals and sticking with the Cloudera name. Now, it's not easy to explain what these companies actually do to a layman. Cloudera is an analytics and machine learning play. Their platform helps companies get the most out of their data, especially working across multiple different cloud infrastructure providers. Now, at the moment, all the cloud stocks are being obliterated, but this remains a great growth business, and the merger with Hortonworks could be a game changer. Do not take it from me, though. Let's check in with Tom Riley. He's the CEO of Cloudera, who'll be staying on as CEO of the combined company. Get a better sense of what this deal means for the future of this business.
1: Mr. Riley, welcome to money. Jim, it's great to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Well,
0: I'm so glad you're here because you'll be able to explain to our viewers why both stocks went up on this merger announcement when typically it's not the case.
1: Well, this is a wonderful merger. Basically, bringing these two companies together, we are creating immense shareholder value. So our, our plans are that by 2020, just around the corner, Our combined company, Cloudera Plus Hortonworks, our new company, Cloudera, will be greater than a billion dollars in annual revenues, will be greater than 20% year-over-year growth, and will have greater than 15% operating cash flow margins. The amount of shareholder value we'll create by bringing us together is immense. Now, a lot of uh, the analysts
0: said that not only will there be great great synergies, but some of them said, you know what, these two companies have actually been going at it. And together, they're going to be better for the customers than they are separate. And the actual prop- possibility of profitability for both companies could be pulled
1: forward. Do you agree? That is our goal, and I do agree. This has been a rivalry that's going on for nearly 10 years. <laughs> we have been going at it really hard against each other. And, but that has made us both better. Competition is wonderful. But now there's a new set of competitors that we can combine ourselves, be a much stronger company, a greater scale, and we can take on a new set of competitors. And a lot of it are these cloud guys where we are extremely well positioned to win in a different market.
0: Well, you gave in your September 5th conference call a couple of examples of, of what you've done. And I know everyone in our country is familiar with Samsung Electronics America, one of the world's largest IT and consumer electronics companies. In order to be able to explain what Cloudera does, maybe you could use that example, which is already public, about what you do so
1: that the people at home can understand why this, this merger could be so exciting. Well, so Samsung Electronics, like all other manufacturers, are instrumenting and connecting the devices they create to the internet. It's called the internet of things. So every car, every cell phone, everything through a supply chain is being instrumented. Autonomous vehicles. And we are a company that uh, we sell technology for our customers to collect data, all that data and use machine learning and artificial intelligence to understand better how products are being used and to make them more efficient or to build autonomous vehicles. And this is what we do together with Hortonworks, Cloudera and Hortonworks, allow us to deliver an enterprise data cloud from the edge, where data comes from, Mm -hmm. all the way to AI, getting insight out of that data.
0: All right, now, I was looking, some of your partnerships are actually a little bit antithetical. Candidly, you've got a partner, large partners, they've got large partners. How do you reconcile that without actually upsetting some of the, you know, how do you not upset IBM, for instance?
1: How do you keep everybody appeased? Well, here's our view. This merger is a win-win for everyone. All of our customers are happy. All of our partners are happy. And yes, our partner system is going to get larger because Cloudera had some unique partnerships and relationships, as did Hortonworks. So you call out the IBM partnership. Hortonworks and IBM have had a wonderful strategic partnership. Cloudera, the new Cloudera, is going to embrace that partnership. Much like we, Cloudera, have had a wonderful relationship with Intel. And now we're gonna bring the Hortonworks customer base and they're gonna get the benefits of our relationship with Intel. We intend this to be a win-win, not only for our shareholders, our partners, and our customers, and all our employees. Okay, I
0: uh, detect when I made my my, uh, calls to some customers, they say, look, here's what's going to happen. These guys have been going head to head and a lot of them are trying to take business away from an incumbent and typically is Oracle. Will this make you more effective versus a competitor like Oracle, which tends to be known as an on premise company?
1: Yes. So a lot of the excitement about this merger is people expect us to be the next Oracle. That doesn't mean we're replacing Oracle legacy business or their traditional business. No, the world is changing this Internet of Things. Data is of much more volume, and people want to do artificial intelligence and machine learning against that data. That's where we're going to compete, and that's how we become the next Oracle of the future. fact of the matter is Oracle's a good partner of ours. Oracle uh, has resold uh, Clodera software for a long time. Uh, We're excited about what Oracle is doing in the cloud. We intend to work with them there. Cloudera plus Hortonworks, we're together, will be the only provider delivering our software across all the major cloud guys. We work on Amazon, Microsoft, Google, the IBM cloud, and that's our value proposition enterprises. They can work across all the cloud providers.
0: Well, look. I think it's true. You know, the market obviously gave it a two thumbs up. It's very clear that the combined companies can stop going at each other, and make and actually start making some money, which would be great. I want to thank you, Tom Riley, uh, who is the CEO of Cloudera, for putting the deal together and explaining it to our viewers about why it's so good. Thank you, Jim. All right, guys, don't don't give up on the cloud and embrace companies that combine to take out costs and become profitable, where it would be not a situation. Uh, Where you would expect to see profit anytime soon. And money's back in. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, or Fire TV and start watching now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. a time when the whole market is clearly rolling over. Can we take a moment to appreciate that the stock of the very old-fashioned Eli Lilly just won't quit? The big pharma Colossus rallied another 2 bucks or 1.8% today after voting 4% yesterday when the averages were just getting slaughtered. In fact, Lilly has now been running for nine straight sessions. It's the best acting stock in the entire S&P 500. That would be incredible even in a healthy market. But in the middle of a horrific sell-off, one based on inflation? Inflation worries? This is downright stunning. We've got to explore how that can be the case, because it wasn't that long ago that investors had given up on the Indianapolis Colossus. It looked as bad as the Colts did in last night's beatdown at the hands of the Patriots. Only a few months ago, many analysts despised the stock because there were endless worries about its most important franchise, the diabetes market. Now, Louis put those worries to rest, And that's allowed the stock to work from $74 in March up to $115 today. That is an incredible move for a gigantic $123 billion drug company. You rarely ever see such a resurrection. And it's a reminder that when analysts write off a franchise that is of this high quality, you might want to take the other side of the trade. Bye bye bye. That's why tonight I'm going to walk you through the anatomy of this miraculous rally so that you can see how the, this whole process plays out, how a stock goes from being loathed to loved. And while I think Lilly's stock has gotten a little overheated here, if we get a market wide sell off that at least includes Lilly next week, I'm telling you, Bye, bye, bye! How did Eli Lilly shake the bear case here? How did it convince the non believers? Before I can explain how Lilly got his groove back, you need to know how it lost its groove in the first place. Coming into 2018, the analyst community was pretty bullish on the stock. Most of them had buy ratings on it, even if their average price target was only about 10% higher than where it was already trading. But then in January, Lilly got hit not with just one downgrade, but two devastating downgrades in the span of a few weeks. Sell, 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 sell. First, Goldman Sachs' great analyst took it from buy to neutral, arguing that Wall Street was underestimating the risk to the company's key diabetes drug, Trulicity, thanks to new competition from Novo Nordisk. Then we got the coup de grace from Credit Suisse, which downgraded Lilly from market perform to an actual sell. This is Eva Lilly, for heaven's sake, to a sell rating, saying that the company wouldn't be able to hit its own sales growth forecast. Credit Suisse worried that Novo Nordisk again would take a lot of market share with its diabetes drug. Everyone was scared of Novo. Of course, that would be deadly for Eli Lilly if it were true. Over the next few years, the company expects to get 40% of its sales growth from this market franchise of Trulicity. If that drug can't keep delivering, then you could argue the company's in trouble. I never argued that. Sure enough, when Lilly reported at the end of January, the company blew away the estimates. They raised their full-year guidance. But it didn't matter to these bears. The stock actually went lower. these bears were hung up on the trulicity fears, and they spread that fear. Management wasn't exactly reassuring on the front. I have to give them that. But wow. I mean, talk about trashing a great American institution. They talk- now, Lilly did talk about some pricing pressure in the diabetes business, uh, but that was, uh, let's just say, way over-exaggerated by the bears. In the following days, more analysts jumped on the bearish bandwagon, arguing that Novo Nordisk, again, was poised to beat Lilly to a pulp and take its lunch money in the diabetes space. The bearish analysts envision this as a multi-wave assault. First, Novo Nord's existing diabetes drug, Victoza, generally thought to be inferior to Lilly's product, they now said it was going to start posting better data that might make it more competitive. Then, Novo's new drug, Ozempic, which launched in February after multiple delays, by the way, would become the new standard of care for the industry. Then they told us that Lilly's neutralicity study would be a disappointment, causing the company to cede even more ground to its competitor. Finally, long term, Novo Nordisk has another drug in the pipeline that these bears claim would dominate the diabetes business for years to come. In short, they painted the grimmest picture of the Indianapolis wonder. Of course, it's obvious that the stock melted down. It fell from 87 to 74 at its lows, and it stayed stuck in the 70s through much of the spring as these same analysts just kept pounding and pounding and pounding. They need to get out of Eli Lilly. In retrospect, you know what these bears were? They were totally wrong 100 P and they cost you a fortune in lost opportunity. How did Lilly turn things around? Even when the company reported a solid beat and raise quarter in late April, most of these analysts were focused on how the future remained bleak. they should have been focused on the fact that Trulicity, the drug everybody was worried about because of Novo, was better than expected, up 82 percent in the first quarter. Still, it wasn't until the summer that the stock really took off, thanks to a string of positive developments that the bears could not deny. And it's not like this stuff came out of nowhere. I've been recommending Eli Lilly to you ever since this big February sell-off. In May, Barclays came out with a great note encapsulating the bull thesis, highlighting the company's bountiful pipeline that none of these bears talked about and its many new terrific products. That was the reality. But the bears were caught in that fever dream where Novo Nordisk was running circles around Eli Lilly and diabetes, nothing else mattered. They had to be woken up, and it took took a lot to rouse them. Now, the bears started going wrong in the first week of June when the FDA approved... Oluliant, that's the company's rheumatoid arthritis drug, and also approved a new indication for Alimta, their non-small cell lung cancer treatment. These came out of nowhere. On June 22nd, Lilly completed its acquisition, $1.6 billion, of Armo Biosciences bulking up their cancer pipeline. But the real game changer came in late July, when the company delivered a fabulous quarter, basically beating the bears over the head with the fact that business was really great. A monster 20-cent earnings beat off a $1.30 basis, much higher than expected sales. Management raised their full-year guidance. Once again, numbers for Trulicity, the so-called threatened franchise, well, they were fabulous, and a lot higher than expected. Wall Street was looking for $731 million from Trulicity, came in at $780. It's up 62%. On top of that, uh, Lilly was trying to make sure that the Grizzlies and Kodiaks got the message. They announced they'd be spinning off their animal health business, Alonco, as a separate company in order to unlock value. Something that Wall Street went crazy for. Now, we did tell you recently it's, it's too high, but understand, the spin-off was fantastic. It was a high-quality play on the humanization of pets. I think Lilly's much more attractive, though it's a much more compelling story than Alonco. After the quarter, the stock popped 8 bucks over the next couple of days, rising to 96 It has not looked back since. Lilly's continued to levitate through August and September, despite a lack of real news, in part because Wall Street had gotten too negative. The stock should never have been in the 70s in the first place. More importantly, with its second quarter numbers, Lilly drove a stake through the heart of the bear thesis. Although Nordis was supposed to be eating them alive, forget about it, they're nowhere! Which brings us to the past week. Now, the stock has already run. Lilly's starting to get a wave, now, now of analyst upgrades and price target boosts. The same people who warned you to stay away from the stock in February, like Alex Arfare uh, and BM, BMO, have been grudgingly forced to raise numbers, and every time a bearish analyst turns into a bull, like this morning, it propels the stock higher. Yesterday, Lilly gave us still one more fantastic piece of news, with some very positive clinical trial results for a type two diabetes drug that they've got in the works. Not only does the drug reduce blood sugar, it also helps patients lose weight something many diabetics struggle with. I am telling you this drug could be the holy grail. It's the possibility of one of the biggest drugs of all time. We should get some phase three results on this, perhaps as early as next year. But the key here is that Lilly's diabetes business is the best there is. And again, the core of the bear thesis was that the diabetes business was doomed. These skeptical analysts are now going to eat crow right here, right now. It's been terrific for the stock. Bears just simply underestimated this great American institution, and they should have to pay for it and be called out. Bottom line, the next time someone tells you a scary story about a high-quality company is going to get pole by the competition, remember what I just described about Eli Lilly. The Bears freaked you out. Nightmarish tale of market share losses. But it turns out that the story had nothing to do with reality. They just hadn't done their homework. And that's why, even after this one, I would not be surprised if Eli Lilly turns out to be an amazing stock after a couple of points down. And that's when I want you to pull the trigger. Denise in Minnesota. Denise!
1: Hey, Jim. uh, Thanks for giving me the toolkit to manage our own money. That's what
0: I want. Thank you. You've got to be good. Manage your own money. Be great as being a client of brokers if you can't. Let's go to work. What do you have?
1: All right. I got a double in biotelemetry. B-E-A-T.
0: And um, it consolidated a month. It
1: spiked and now it's dropping like a rock along with the rest of its uh, right. sector. And I'm wondering, is this a buying opportunity?
0: Uh, cardiac rhythm, uh detection is actually a very, very good business. I think people were actually worried about the Apple Watch, believe it or not, and how it might be able to detect things one day. I would be careful. You got a double. Take out. I want you to take all the money, the capital that you put in, out. Play with the house's money for the rest. That's fantastic. And congratulations. Let's go to Blaze in New York. Blaze. Ooh, yeah, Jim, how you doing? I am doing well. How about
1: you? I'm good. Jim, my question is regarding Portola Pharmaceutical, oh, the roller coaster. Boy. So, most investors feel Portola has two approved blockbuster drugs, Index and D-Vix, but I feel the rollout was poorly executed by management. We have a new CEO starting Monday. So, what is your feeling? I want you to wait of a of full quarter. CEO?
0: I want you to wait a full quarter. I didn't like the last quarter. I didn't like the guidance. I think you've got to wait. And then when we find out more or they want to come on, we will do our best to put it to work. But not here, not now. All right, once again, the Bears tried to wreak havoc and they failed with a great American institution. Even in this ugly market, Eli Lilly has more upside after a couple points down. Much more mad money ahead, including my take on the -the under-the-radar outperformer you may be missing a secret cloud play. I'll reveal the name just ahead. Then getting dumped is hard. I'll tell you why some portfolio managers are dropping retailers. And all your calls rapid fire in a special Friday edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. As I told you last night, I'm not, I don't want you to be a hero yet in this market. Take it from a grizzled veteran who's seen many business cycles. When people start selling stocks, sell, 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 because they suddenly become very worried about higher interest rates caused by inflation. It takes more than a couple of days for the weakness to work its way through the system. That said, it's not too soon to start thinking about what to buy in this weakness. You know that the cloud stocks have suddenly lost their mojo. I mean, they, 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 they've been crushed. These are all turbocharged growth stories, and the thing about growth is that it becomes less attractive when people start fretting about inflation. The whole point of these cloud names is that their earnings will be enormous three, four, five, ten years from now. Not now! But inflation erodes the purchasing power of those earnings. A dollar today is going to be worth more than a dollar five years from now. But you know what? If people are worried about inflation, they think maybe a dollar today is worth a lot more than a stock in the future. I'm not that worried. I believe that the Fed will, even though I don't want them to do, strangle any nascent inflation in its crib, just like it always does, even though the worker may not make as much money. And that's what I'm concerned about. But today's employment report was too strong. When you account for the impact of the hurricane, what might the Fed back off? I wish they would. But if you think the Fed is going to keep tightening like Jerome Powell just told us they would, then investors will start circling back to the cloud stocks eventually. Why? Because these companies can keep growing even if the economy slows down or is halted. That's why I like the cloud so much. So it's not too late to start adding to your shopping list, looking for high-quality companies with stocks that could be worth buying into weakness that will probably continue next week. Just remember that there's no hurry here. You can take your time and let the sell-off unfold. But you know what? I got one that we're working on this weekend. It really seems interesting to me right now. I want to introduce you to Guidewire Software, GWRE. It's kind of boring, but listen to me. It's an enterprise software company in a fabulous niche. It's the biggest player in one industry, the property and casualty insurance space. Basically, the platform gives insurers everything they need to run their business. They handle policies, underwriting, pricing, billing, claims, data management, and analysis. With Guidewire, insurance companies can save themselves a fortune by automating many of these functions. And, of course, yes, cutting out people and letting the machines do it. The reason I'm mentioning this company now is it's just started transitioning to a cloud-based software as a service business model. And as we've seen over and over again, this is a fabulous, ultimately a fabulous move. If you bought Adobe or Autodesk when they started embracing the cloud, you made a killing. Remember, those have been two of our favorites. Even as it's a bumpy road when you transfer to the cloud and you need conviction to stick with them when things get messy. Well, things have gotten messy for Guidewire. For years, the stock was a terrific performer. It gave you a 6, you probably never heard of this company, but it gave you a 644% gain just since it came public at the beginning of 2012, 30% gain just for 2018. Lately, though, the stock's been pulling back. It's down 11 points from its highs over the last few weeks, in part because management's guidance was seen as being pretty suboptimal when the company reported in September, really kind of the first miss. So what's the issue here? Okay, coming into the new year, the bulls were all exuberant. Guidewire had Accelerating Revenue Growth, or ARG, you know much we like that. It was at the very beginning of a multi-year transition to the cloud. Last year, 95% of their sales, sales still came from old-fashioned on-premise software that we always talk about is a dead duck. However, this year, the bulls expected that to go to 30 to 40%, and Guidewire's new pres- uh, subscription-based business as software-as-a-service business model is a lot more lucrative than the old model of making customers pay up front for a software license and then never getting another penny out of them until they need to upgrade to the next version. Now, for a while, this transition was pretty smooth sailing. Guidewire reported a series of very strong quarters, and it also developed a reputation for UPOD, for under-promising and then over-delivering. That's why the stock spent most of the year roaring higher. The cloud transition seemed to be going perfectly. Everything playing out ahead of schedule. Business was roaring. And then in August, we got some very positive analyst coverage, and it catapulted the stock still higher. Plus, it didn't hurt the guide wire's turning itself into a cloud name at a time when Wall Street's desperate for new cloud names. we kind of sick of the old cloud names. But last month, things started going off the rails. First, Guidewire reported on September 5th, and while the actual results were strong, solid top and bottom line beat, the guidance for next year came in weaker than expected, and that freaked people out because it's an expensive stock. So in response, the stock got ding. It fell 4%. The problem? The company saw some slippage with their cloud offering for large clients, meaning the deals didn't close as quickly as they planned. This is not the first time we've heard this from a cloud-based software company or one transitioning to cloud like Adobe or like Autodesk. Then on the conference call, management indicated they need to wait until 2020 or beyond before the cloud adoption story really went into high gear. Now, the next day, the analyst community stepped in to defend Guidewire. It's been such a winner, arguing that a couple of deals slipping into the next quarter wasn't the end of the world, and the stock remained to buy. Their cheerleading definitely worked. Guidewire surged to fresh all-time highs climbing from the 90s to 107 in the middle of September. Well, then a couple of weeks ago, Guidewire unveiled some new long-term forecasts at its annual analyst day. Management believes they can nearly double their revenue over the next five years, subscriptions going from 36% of the new sales to 80%. That's what we want, while margins rise and cash flow explodes higher. This was a very bullish plan, and I liked it. But then we got a classic sign of a peak, one that I've got to emphasize more and more as the year goes on. The analysts went to work pushing the stock after that meeting, but nothing happened. Oh, it rallied a little bit. But ever since that little bump, GuyWire stock has gone down practically in a straight line. When Wall Street price targets boost, when they make their boosts, stop pushing a stock higher, that's a sign that a once beloved stock may be ready to roll over. Sure enough, not only has GuyWire been rolling over, the past week, wow, weakness has spread to the whole cloud cohort. It's now down to 96, and I bet it could even go below, down lower. Why? Because it's far from cheap, and this is what happens when momentum stocks fall out of favor with the Wall Street fashion show. GuyWire trades at nine times next year's sales, not earnings. Sales! Yet it's only expected to deliver revenue growth in the mid-teens over the next few years. Basically, it's trading like a cloud king, but it doesn't have the growth of a cloud king. So why the heck am I even telling you it should think about it, let alone buy it if it comes down? Because it's got a great long-term story. This is exactly the kind of stock that actually gets cheaper as it goes lower. At the end of the day, these guys still dominate this one business, the property casualty insurance software business. They have limited competition. No one seems to want this market other than them. The transition to the cloud is inevitable, and it's going to make them a fortune. But I wouldn't buy it for this moment you got to let it in uh, because the cloud stocks are all coming down. If you're worried that the cloud stocks are going to keep rolling over, Guidewire is one that maybe you should buy at the $85 level. That's my new price target where you should pull the trigger. Bottom line, when software companies transition to the cloud, it is an inherently bumpy process. But eventually, the gains tend to be enormous. We stepped right into the breach in the two that I keep talking about, Adobe and in Autodesk. And I'm thinking Guidewire could be the breach here. But for heaven's sake, the whole market is getting crushed right now, especially the cloud stocks. So please, let it come in. If it keeps getting hit, you can buy it. If it never pulls back enough, just say you missed it and move on. But remember, the cloud is still the place to be. And Mad Money is back after the break. It is time. <laughs> it's over the labor. <laughs> up, and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski. Got It's Time for the lightning round. It's over. Fred in Maine. Fred.
1: Hey, Jim. A big booyah from the beautiful state of Maine. Love First Maine. time caller And dedicated listener. Thank you. Uh, my question for you is for the stock camping world, CWH. With Marcus at the helm and a seemingly low price evaluation, I wanted to know what you thought of this stock. I think it
0: trades with Thor, frankly, whether it should or not. And Thor hit another 52 week low today. So I am going to say not yet, not yet, not yet. Let's go to Angelo in New York. Angelo.
1: Hey, Jim, how
0: you doing? I'm doing well, Angelo. How about you? Hey, thanks so much for sharing all your market
1: wisdom on a daily basis. Uh, You're very kind. Thank you. Okay, so I'm thinking about uh, getting some biotech for my portfolio. What do you think about Spectrum Pharmaceuticals? No,
0: man, if you're going to do that, you want to go high end. I want you, even though it's got a $100 market, you know, well, it's $200, Amgen, which my capital trust owns. Amgen's got this drug, Amovig, which is taking the world by storm. It's an anti-migraine drug. Amgen is the one you want. Cynthia in Massachusetts. Cynthia.
1: Hi, my question today is about
0: Avangrid. It's going down. Yeah, I know. Well, you remember, all the utility stocks are going down. The two I'm recommending are Dominion, now that it's finishing up the South Carolina situation. But more importantly, AEP. Let's go to Werner in Florida. Werner.
1: Mr. Kramer, thank you for taking my call. Before we start, though, my wife just mentioned that she had heard you had recently lost a pet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we did. We also we lost, have just lost two beautiful to, dogs, put, so yeah, we, we have your put,
1: heartfelt sympathy.
0: Thank you. Same to you. We had to put Bug down because of a tumor, and everybody who owns, who knows animals or has one knows that this is far more painful than you ever thought before you ever owned one. So thank you so much, and I'll certainly tell yeah. that to Lisa. I'll pass that on. Yeah. How can I help?
1: Okay. My wife's got some information from an investment business daily first part of the year on a company called CRISPR are. Therape- Thera- Right, I
0: know these guys, and I'm you know, looking. I, I, investors business, IBRs, you know, investors business does a very good job. Here's the problem with IBD. That's a momentum stock, and we're, right now momentum is out of favor. So I cannot necessarily recommend that CRISPR is the place to be. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the lightning round.
1: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. <laughs>
0: Survey says it's Family Feud. Mad Money style. Repeat after Me, they were doing U-Pot. They under-promised and over-delivered. Exactly what I told the Philadelphia Eagles to do last year during summer camp, and they won the Super Bowl. Let's get them this year! Oh. All right, well, I'm not buying anything this show. So stay with... Kramer. I don't like peanuts and chocolate. I don't like the combination of the two. It's absurd. Reese's should be used as roadkill. It's alive! Do <laughs> you know that almost 50,000 people watch my video of taking the seltzer What's wrong? Terrible rap. It's a rap? You know how they say it's a rap like the end of the show? No, it's a rap like the end of my stomach lining. Cheers. Let me do that again. I didn't like it. Let me do it again. It is brutal out there. New negative storylines popping up all over the place. Lenard talked about a pause in housing, their word, not mine, and it decked a slew of stocks. We've been learning that China's been hacking chips and all sorts of devices. You better believe that's going to cause an escalation and retaliation. But that's not what really scares me. No, the thing that keeps me awake at night is this new narrative, the death of retail. Retail. A story that can't be defeated, even by good numbers or decent employment report, which gives it nice job growth with very little inflation. I mean, that's exactly what the stock market wants to see. According to this new negative theory, the retail stocks are being hit with a perfect storm of negativity, which makes them far too dangerous to own. And remember, the story doesn't need to be true for it to do a lot of damage. Take a look at the stock at Costco, down 5.5% today on a pretty decent quarter, for heaven's sake. So let me trace out this new bear case for you, so you know what's going on. First, of course, there's the Fed. By laying out a path of multiple rate hikes, regardless of the data, which is essentially what Jerome Powell did earlier this week, the Fed is saying we can't have people make more money than they are because wage inflation must be stopped in its tracks. Retail has been aided by the tax cuts on corporations, as well as individuals in about half the country, which gave people more money to spend. But if the Fed's going to keep tightening on autopilot, that's more than enough to counteract tax reform. The house of pain. Second, the price of oil has become too visible. So even though cars have gotten a lot more fuel efficient in recent years, people assume that the price of the pump will really start crimping their spending. Your heating fuel bill, likely lo- lo- uh, really lower thanks to cheap natural gas in the country, is actually far more important than your gasoline bill. But it's also much less in your face than the price of crude, so people don't notice. Third, retailers have some tough comparisons coming up. The numbers for this industry started improving pretty dramatically at this point last year, which means it's going to be harder for them to show decent year-over-year growth going forward. For money managers who chase growth and thirst for it wherever they can find it, tougher comparisons mean one thing. Sell, sell, sell! Fourth, retail workers' wages are indeed on the rise, crimping margins. Ever since Amazon raised its pay to $15 an hour this week, investors have worried that retailers all over the country are going to have to follow suit. Now, it is true that Amazon's hourly workers may not live anywhere near where, say, a target might be. But Wall Street likes to pay on broad strokes. Money managers just say, "Okay, everyone's going to have to pay wages that are like Amazon's, as if Amazon somehow sets the minimum wage, and that's all she wrote. Fifth, retailers can't get out of China fast enough to save money, particularly on private label merchandise they have made there. Sure, Vietnam is open for business and it's cheaper than China, but you can't put up new factories overnight. So thanks to the president's tariffs, the consumers may have some sticker shock this holiday season. As Costco told us last night, retailers can either eat the cost themselves, bad for business, or they can squeeze suppliers. Ultimately, though, the consumer could suffer some as the tariff costs will have to go to the shopper, at least until alternate sources develop outside of China. Taken together, these five factors make it logical to sell nearly every retailer under the sun. The only real exceptions maybe are the off-price chains, think TJX and Ollie's, both selling goods to you cheaper than Amazon can sell them, and perhaps maybe a couple positive special situations like a Lulu. Now, I don't exactly believe retail, retail will be weak, but that's not the issue. What matters is perception. The perception that portfolio managers believe that these stocks simply can't be as good as they were last year at this time. And that means the retail stocks are going to be dumped no matter what. And that's a very big problem for anyone who owns Target or PBH or Best Buy or Macy's. The latter's obviously in the grips of this whole thinking already, or otherwise would be a lot higher. In short, it's going to be a good season for all of these chains, I think, but probably not good enough to make a difference now that Wall Street believes that retail's about to fall off a cliff. Remember, on Wall Street, the story doesn't have to come true to crush these stocks ahead of time. Stick with Kramer. I came out here to praise full employment and the idea that maybe you should be able to make 10 cents more an hour than you were last year at this time. But everybody else has decided, no, we got to slam on the brakes. I'm telling you not to be as fearful, but we have not bottomed yet. We need to go a little bit lower, and then we'll take a look at some stocks. I recommended some tonight that I like very much. Let's not quit. Let's stay in the game. Let's not panic. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you
1: Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.